We're going to look at a passage today that for some, it's one of the most confusing texts within the Bible. In fact, as I was preaching on Romans 7 last week, somebody said, are you going to keep going further to, to verse 14 and on? Because that passage is really difficult to understand. And let me just give you a flavor of it, a sneak preview of what we're going to be looking at by way of the screen, if we could have that. Chapter 7, verse 14. Paul says this, <clears throat> We know that the law is spiritual, but I am unspiritual, so does a slave to sin. I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do I do not do, but what I hate to do. Verse 18. For I know the good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep doing. Can anybody relate to that? We said last week the struggle is real. That in your journey with Jesus, you're going to encounter this conflict, this civil war of the soul. And that there's going to be a part of you that knows what to do is right, but there is going to be another part of you that is pulling so strongly against that. And maybe I'm talking to some this morning, and you're looking at a pattern of sin in your life. Maybe it's a besetting sin. Maybe it's something that keeps tripping you up over and over and over, and you look at yourself and you're so disappointed. But even more so, you look to God and you think, God, you've got to be so disappointed in me. You've got to be so fed up. And you're at a place right now where you say, you know, I just feel like I'm letting God down so much. But the truth of the gospel, and what we're going to see in, First Corinthians, in Romans chapter 7, is that you're not going to let God down because you don't hold him up. Even in the midst of our failures, God holds us up by His grace. And He still calls us His children. And He still lavishes His love upon us. And what we're going to see as we go through this passage is the wonderful truth of the gospel is that we can tell the truth about our own lives and still be loved. We can be honest about who we are and we can speak the truth to about what we are and who we are and we can still be loved in the grace and in the mercy of God. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to Romans chapter 7. We're going to start in verse 14. If you're using a Bible app, version Bible Gateway, go ahead and click onto that. And if you don't have either, we'll have the Scriptures by way of the screen. Now, we're probably in our third month of the book of Romans, and we've said that the heart of Romans is chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. That is the core of it. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel. For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. For in the gospel, the righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last. As it says within the scripture, the righteous shall live by faith. And the gospel tells us that every gift from start to finish, from beginning to end, Every blessing, every benefit, everything we receive doesn't come because we deserved it or because we earn it. It comes as a gift 
from the loving and gracious hand of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And we looked in chapters 1 to 3 where it talks about the problem of our sin. And that's why Jesus had to die. Chapters 4 and 5 talk about the salvation that we have by faith. And now chapters 6 to 8 talk about sanctification. Now that you know Jesus, how then do you live? out your faith and live out the gospel. And it's in chapter 6 six and 8 that it gives this wonderful, resounding hope of how we're not slaves to sin. We can live above the power of it. But sandwiched in between that is the realistic message that sometimes we're going to struggle. And sometimes we're going to struggle very deeply. Look by way of the screens, Romans chapter 6, verse 6. Paul says this, this wonderful message here. He says, For we know that our old self was crucified with him, so that the, bo- so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. That wonderful truth. You're no longer slaves to sin. But you come to chapter 7. And it's like Paul is singing a completely different tune. And what he shares flies, seems to fly in the face of that. Imagine you go to a financial counselor, a financial guru, a financial expert, and he's giving several days worth of seminars on how to build up your finances, how to protect your income and all that kind of stuff. And for two days, you're taking notes and you're loving it. You're getting all excited. And then on the third day, the guy admits, hey, just last week I filed for bankruptcy. You're going to want your money back, aren't you? And you read chapter 6, it gives gives these glowing terms of expectation. But then in chapter 7, it's like Paul says, I'm filing for spiritual bankruptcy. He talks in a very open and brutal and honest way about his failures. And he just doesn't say that, hey, I'm struggling with sin. I'm struggling with temptation. He basically says, it's kicking me in the teeth. It's making me tap out. It's bringing me to the lowest. And he's not like some of the images of spiritual leaders that we have, that they're unfazed and they're untouched by the problems that impact the rest of us. Rather, Paul, who's probably the greatest giant of the Christian faith, he says, I struggle too. And I struggle in a way that is very deep and that is very hard. And I love this passage because Paul, the spiritual giant, tells the truth about himself. And there's a lot we can learn about that. Let me unfold four things that Paul talks about his own struggle with sin and about the spiral and the descent that it brings him down. So if you're in a note-writing mood, first thing I want us to see is that Paul is in conflict with spiritual failure. Paul is in conflict with spiritual failure. Verse 14. He says, We know that the law is spiritual. God's commands are good, they're right, it's all good, but I'm unspiritual, so does a slave to sin. Paul says, I know the good things that I want to do, but I've got something fighting against me that stops me from doing that. I want to swim to the shore on solid ground, but the currents keep pulling me back out in a way that I know that is not good, in a way that's dangerous. And sometimes I feel like I'm over my head and I'm going to start to drown in these temptations and these struggles. And that's where Paul starts off in verse 14. 
Truth is, number two is this, Paul is confused with the feelings. Paul is confused with the feelings. Verse 15, I, I do not understand what I do, for what I want to do, I do not do, but what I hate to do. You see what he says? I don't understand what I do. You have a, your child, your child now, or when your child was growing up, or you're a teacher of a third grader, and they get into trouble, they did something that was wrong, and, and you look at them and you say, now why did you do that? And what do they say? I don't know. Why did you say that? That was very mean. I don't know. Why did you get involved with that? Why did you get you're messed up in that way? I don't know. Many times I'm with people. They're sharing with me about their struggles. Maybe it's anger. Maybe it's lust. Maybe it's something they said, something that's falling apart, a sin that's... I'm saying, why did you do that? Why is that going on? I say, I don't know. If I knew, I wouldn't be talking to you. And that's where Paul is at. I don't know why this is going on. The third thing is, Paul is in checkmate with confusion. He's in checkmate with confusion, verse 18. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is, in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. He says, I try hard. I really work at it. But the more I do, the more it keeps getting the upper hand in my life. And I'm just confused right now. And then in verse 24, Paul comes to the very bottom. And what we see in verse 24 is that Paul describes his own life getting to the place where you can be as low as you can possibly go. Verse 24, Paul is consumed with futility. And he says this, What a wretched man I am. What a wretched man. I studied this in the original and the Greek, and the wretched means to be beaten down so much over and over and over again that you come to the place where you're whipped. You come to the place you're tired. You come to the place you're exhausted. And you basically say, I'm humiliated and I give up. Eugene Peterson in his translation, the message, translates it like this. Verse 24, he says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. And I'm at the end of my rope. goes on in verse 24, who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? In the Greek, it literally reads body of death, but some translations say, like the NIV, mine does, uh, body that is subject to death to make it appear more understandable. Paul says body of death. Some scholars, some translators, they look at this and they believe when Paul talks about the body of death, he's, he's referring to a practice that went back to his childhood when he grew up in Tarsus, a town that was in Turkey. And there was a tribe that when somebody committed a murder, their punishment for the murder is that they would take the person that, that they had murdered and they would chain the body to the person who did the murder. In other words, you'd be chained to the body of death, the person you had killed. That, that was your punishment. You would be chained to them. Horrible punishment. Barbaric, isn't it? Maybe Paul was referring to that, but what we know is this, is Paul is basically saying, 
I am chained to something that is defeating me. I'm chained to something I don't want to be chained to. I am chained to something that I'm struggling with and I completely hate it. We look at this, Paul's at the place where he's as low as he can go. But I want to say this, is there something refreshing about a man of Paul's stature being honest and telling the truth about himself? He's not the Teflon Don where just nothing seems to stick to him. He doesn't seem to rise above like some spiritual superhero, above all of the problems that affect us. If you look at your life right now and you're saying, I feel hopeless, I feel like I'm in depression, I feel like I'm defeated, I don't feel like I'm worthy to be here this morning, then guess what? You're in good company with the Apostle Paul because he was at that place too. But I've got to ask myself the question, how do you reconcile the contradiction between what Paul says in Romans 6, that we are not slaves to sin, to the place where Paul in Romans 7 is basically saying, I am being bullied by sin. Look in verse 17. Paul says, as it is, it's no longer I myself who do it, but the sin that is living in me. And Paul looks at his identity. He says, it's not me doing it. I am with Jesus Christ. I am perfect in his eyes. I am justified. I am reconciled. I am redeemed. That is who I am. I am not a sinner, but I still have this sin living within me. And Paul is confessing for himself what all of us are going to experience with our journey with Jesus, and that is, is that we will deal with the residual effects of sin as we move through our journey with Jesus. That though we are loved by God, and though we are accepted, and though we have been made holy in God's eyes, and sin no longer has to have the ultimate power, we will still be in a process of dealing with its residual effects. Here's a way to think about this. We're in Michigan, so we're definitely going to understand this. It's about 10 years ago that General Motors stopped producing Pontiac cars. My my first two vehicles were Pontiacs, but 10 years ago they stopped doing that because of their financial situation. So Pontiacs are no longer being produced. The assembly line, the production lines for the Pontiac vehicle is now dead, isn't it? And though it is dead, is Pontiac still having an influence? Yes, it is. Because Pontiacs are still being driven. I know this firsthand of the influence of a, of a Pontiac. One, one time my daughter is going to get picked up by a guy who wants to take her out for a date. I said, okay, Brianna, I'd like to meet the guy. And so he pulls into the driveway. And the vehicle that I see is a Trans Am. And I look at that Trans Am, and my first inclination is, cool, a Trans Am, a Pontiac. How cool is that? I loved those as a kid. The 70s, the 80s, Trans Ams were awesome. But then my thought goes, oh no. That guy who was ever in this Trans Am is wanting to take my daughter out for a date. In my mind, flashbacks are occurring of Burt Reynolds or David Hasselhoff of Knight Rider getting out of the car. 
And I want to say, Brianna, go back inside. This isn't going to work. He turned out to be a pretty good kid. But folks, Pontiac still has an influence. But the longer that we go on, Pontiac will have less and less of an influence because the vehicles are going to more die and die and die out and no longer run. And as we're in our journey with Jesus and we come to know the Lord, He's changed us. We are not subject. The power plan of sin has been cut off in our lives, but we're still going to deal with the residual effects of those. And you know what that means? Maybe you're in your 50s. And maybe something happened, something occurred, something you did that was in your 20s. And right now you're starting to deal with the impact of that or the consequences of that, or the memory of that. And maybe for some of you, you've got what's called the besetting sin. That issue of anger, that issue of lust, that is just always going to be that temptation, that struggle that you'll face for maybe until your final breath. Maybe there's things where God has just said, hey, I'm taking that away from you. You're not going to struggle. That won't be a temptation anymore. But then there's going to be those other areas where we're going to have to be more careful, where we're going to have to be more on a spiritual high alert. For some of us, maybe it's our personality type. Maybe it's the way our mind is structured. And then when certain events, certain things happen to our life, we become triggered. And we become triggered, we get this anxiety and this panic, and it leads to fear. And it's this residual makeup of who we are that we won't fully overcome until we get to the other side of glory. And we're dealing with the residual effects of sin. Maybe right now that's where you're at. Maybe at whatever phase. Maybe you're just struggling. Maybe you're confused. Maybe you feel defeated. Or maybe you're like Paul in verse 24 where you said, I just feel like giving up. What do you do in those situations? Well, I want you to know this morning, isn't it good to know that we can tell the truth about who we are. But as we tell the truth about who we are, what is the hope that the gospel gives us to move beyond those struggles that we're facing? So let me give you three encouragements as we want to tie the bow on this teaching this morning. And the first one is this. You're struggling. The struggle is real. Number one, admit your powerless. Admit your powerlessness. There's nothing wrong with being honest with yourself, telling the truth and saying, I can't, I can't lick this. I can't whip this. I just don't have the ability. Look at Paul in chapter 7, verse 21. He says, so I found this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. I just admit it. I can't seem to whip this thing. What Paul does not say and what I've heard so many people say throughout my ministry is when they're struggling with the sin, the temptation, the thing is licking them, the thing is whipping them, they're being defeated by something. They will say things like this, you know what, I know this is hard. I know this is strong, but I'm going to be stronger. I know that this is very difficult, but my mom and dad raised me to never give up. I know this is quite a challenge, but I just need a little more motivation. Another worship 
song, another teaching, another level of accountability. I just need something else, but I'm not going to give up. And folks, when you have that mentality, it's about like having a bear that's coming to, to maul you and claw you to death. And you're simply bandaging the wounds, thinking that that's going to save you. You've got to get to the source of the problem. And the source of the problem is that you and I don't have the strength to overcome the power of sin. And that's why today, if you've been serving God for 20 or 30 or whatever years, you need the gospel as much today as you needed the gospel when you first came to Jesus Christ. Let me quote to you a couple of outstanding Bible teachers who are talking about this passage, John Stott and then Ray Stedman, to reinforce what I'm telling you this morning. John Stott says this, To speak plainly, some of us are not leading holy lives for the simple reason that we, are, we have a too high opinion of ourselves. In other words, the only way to arrive at faith And the power of the Holy Spirit is along the road of self-despair. Ray Stedman said something similar. He says, If we think that our wills are strong enough, our desires are motivated enough, that we can control the evil in our lives by simply determining to do so, then we have not yet come to the end of ourselves. And the Spirit of God simply folds His arms and lets us go ahead and try it on, on that basis. And we fail and fail miserably until at last, out of our failures, we cry, O wretched man that I am. So the first thing to do is just tell the truth about yourself. Admit it. You don't have the power. Number two, though, is accept your position. Accept your position in Jesus Christ. Now we come to verse 25 and look at how as Paul comes to the ends of himself, he tells the truth about himself. Look at the love of Jesus that he now experiences. Verse 25 of chapter 7. Thanks be to God who delivers me through Jesus Christ our Lord. So then I myself in my mind am a slave to God's law, but in my sinful nature a slave to the law of sin. Chapter 8, verse 1, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Chapter 8, 1 says there's now no condemnation. It does not tell us there is therefore now no failure for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there is therefore now no falling for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say there is therefore now no inconsistencies for those who are in Christ Jesus. It says there is therefore now no condemnation. The word condemnation is a compound of a Greek word, kata, meaning to bring, to tear down, krino, meaning judgment. In that when you are down due to your circumstances, the Lord is not going to keep you down or bring you down, but rather through His grace, He is going to bring you back up. When you're feeling your lowest, God still loves you as you're telling the truth about yourself. Tony Evans It said this, that when you walk into a house, there are two kinds of dogs. There's a law dog and there's a grace dog. And the law dog is the dog that obeys his master with his tail tucked underneath his legs. 
And he obeys because he fears the punishment of the, of the paper being whacked over his head if he doesn't do what he's told to do. That's the law dog. And then there's the grace dog. And the grace dog just loves to come up to the master. Wagging his tail is in the relationships and wants to please the master because there is a love and there is affection and there is a care that is there. Now, for those of you who are cat lovers, sorry, there's no corollary to cats on that. My dog, I was talking about him last week, Charlie. He's a pit bull mastiff. He's a big boy. He's got this strong neck, these wide jaws. If he was angry and he went at somebody, it would not look good for them. But Charlie's really a sweetheart. He's really kind, but he can be pretty forceful. And it was yesterday I was eating breakfast with Brenda, and as we were eating, Charlie came up to me, and there with that big nose of his, that strong neck, those big jaws, he just kind of pushed his way up through my arm. And there was his head poking in as I'm eating my breakfast. And it's like he was looking at me and he was saying, Anthony, do you really need to eat all of that? Can you share some of that with me? And and I'm irritated with him. And I'm irritated and I want to kind of scold him and say, don't do that. But I look at that face and there's such this innocence. You know what I'm saying? And so what I'm doing is that I'm, I'm, I'm petting him and scolding him at the same time. This doesn't make sense. And you know, we get to the place where we think I'm irritating God. He's struggling with me. He doesn't want me to come to him. He, he's just tired of me. And folks, God still looks at you and pours out to you his perfect love through the grace of Jesus Christ. As we looked in Romans 3, you are justified. And it means that through the blood of Jesus Christ, it means as he looks at you as though you have never sinned. But God's tired of me. Is he? You say, I don't deserve to come to him for forgiveness again. I don't deserve to come back to him. And I want to ask you the question, when did you ever deserve to come to him in the first place? When have you ever in your life merited worth or honor or brownie points in the sight of a holy, pure God to earn the ability or the right to come to him for forgiveness? You never have. You don't understand the basis of your justification or your acceptance with him. You say, but I, I, okay, that's good, but I just, I feel like I'm going to let God down. I feel like I'm letting him down. And as I said before, you don't hold him up. By the very fact that you have breath, that you have life, that in it of itself is a gift of God. In your salvation and your relationship with him is completely founded on grace. Think about this this morning. When you came to Jesus Christ to accept you, to forgive you of all of your sins, did he know everything about your past? All of your sins, all of your struggles, all of your shame, did he know it all? Yes, he did. And did he forgive you? Yes, he did. But when you came to him for forgiveness at that moment, Did he know all of your sins, all of your shames, all of your fallops and all of your struggles that you would commit from that time to the time that you would go to eternity or glory to the time you take your last breath? Yes, he did. 
He knew everything about what you would do, where you would fall, where you would blow it. And guess what? He still embraced you as a son or daughter through the blood of Jesus Christ. And the gospel says to us that in our fallops, in our hangups, in our sins, when sin is getting the upper hand, we can tell the truth about ourselves and still be loved by God. Number three, acknowledge God's process. Acknowledge God's process. Are you tired of the battle this morning? Are you tired of the struggle? Do you feel like giving up? Acknowledge God's process. Let's look by a scripture by way of the screen, Matthew chapter 11, verses 28 to 30. And I want to read this from Eugene Peterson's The Message. And these are the words of Jesus. Are you tired, worn out, burned out on religion? Come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. Jesus was a carpenter, wasn't he? And I'm sure several times he had fashioned yokes. Those yokes are those wooden beams that you would harness animals together and for farming. And farmers knew in that day that when they had the oxen and they were plowing, they would put a young ox with an older ox. They would yoke them together. And they would do that because the the young ox would be inexperienced and aggressive and he would want to plow quickly and use all of his energy and he would be tired by noon when there was a whole day's worth of work to do. And so he would be worn out. But as he would be yoked to the older, more mature ox, that ox knew what it was like to pace his labor for a whole day. And as that younger ox tried to go ahead, the older ox would just bring it back and it would come into alignment. And because of that, they could complete or accomplish a whole day's worth of work. I want to invite the prayer and the ministry team to come up this morning, our prayer team and ministry team. But the words of Jesus is this, you can be honest and tell the truth about yourself, but God still loves you. And all he wants you to do is just trust him and be honest with him. Trust him and be patient with yourself. And I want to invite everybody to stand as we read the words of Jesus from Matthew 11, verse 30. Matthew 11, verse 30. And these are the words of Jesus to us. As right now, you're in the midst of that struggle. You're in the midst of that place of giving up. And so starting in verse 30, let us read together. For my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden that I give you is light.
Thank you for joining Crossroads Community Church today. We're so excited about what God's doing in the lives of the people of our church and the lives of those who are listening online. If you have any questions or want more information about our church, visit our website at www.crossroadsccl.com or follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Now let's jump into the Word with this week's message. <laughs> 